Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to Vintage Sand episode 15, and now you get to hear me sing. This is the end, beautiful friend, the end. Which is not fair, actually, because that's the beginning of that great movie. That's the opening of Apocalypse Now, but right. I sing it, as you can call it singing, because we are focusing today in episode 15. We're going the opposite of episode 6. Episode 6, we focused on beginnings. Do you know the original, when he first showed Apocalypse Now, there were no credits? Yeah. Really? Yes. When I saw I it, can't it, was imagine very, it was very effective. And Q Napalm. I can't, I can't imagine that movie without the... And the No Broken Glass. And the I saw it at the Siegfeld, and they handed out yeah. the... Um, that's how uh, when I saw it, too. Mm -hmm. first saw it, there were no, and it, it was beautiful the way yeah, they did it. Yeah, I like that. that wow. One. That's a thought. But um, we... Anyway, back to No, the, but back to... We are uh, focusing on endings and we take this episode's name after my all-time favorite title card which I've mentioned in these pages before that would be the end of Jean-Luc Godard's weekend which is the end of his great period from 60 to 67 and you may recall that the end of card says um, end of film end of cinema <laughs> I mean, JL, JLG's a little bit arrogant, but you cannot spell Godard without G-O-D. So, and uh, we'll, have to argue, we'll have to argue that one out sometime. But so today, on episode 15, we're going to be talking about our favorite movie endings. And something that is almost as difficult, maybe more difficult, than beginnings to do well. Um, we've talked a lot about how directors, even our greatest directors, seem to have forgotten how to do endings. Uh, you know, I point to uh, I point to Lincoln as an example. You know, you have that perfect ending with him walking down the hall into history, and then that would have been. A, I, you know, it's funny as I know we've talked about this before. I think that would have been a great place to end it. At the same time, I like the part afterwards when it continues. Yeah, but we're in a theater, but it's not that theater. It's I know. where Robert's I, going was, to see a magic an, show. That was an odd choice. Know, like, what? That was an odd choice. Or, or, you know, and we've talked about the end of um, of Departed also. I mean, first of all, let's forget about the rat on the balcony because that's that's the single worst last shot ever. We'll get that out of the way now. Yeah, I, I, you know, from one of our greatest directors. I'm guessing but, it was in the script and for whatever reason Scorsese didn't put his foot down I mean, ripped you, the page you out. Get it? It's, it's about rats. But the the film goes on for 45 minutes too long. People seem... It, it's because folks don't seem to trust... Their, uh, Spielberg does that too. Look at Saving Private Ryan. All of Spielberg's movies go on too long. I mean, and, and, you know, end it with Tom Hanks. Earn this. Yeah, Earn I this. I know. Don't go back to the graveyard yeah, with... I, know. with I, know. I hate the oh ending of Saving Private Ryan. God, yeah, why? Yeah, he so, could have... Oh. I think that would have been a perfect ending. Earn this. And Earn this. And it's just a close-up freeze frame out, of his face. Done. Fade out, done. Yeah. We and, would have, and we all would have walked out of the theater instead with our heads we get, hanging down. But <laughs> instead so, we get, no, was I a good person? Oh God. Did I live a good life? Urgh. I wanted I mean, to yell no. Oh, God, <laughs> Lord, what? Trust us. We got it, we got it. So even our greatest directors, even the Spielbergs and the, and the Scorseses have problems with endings. So to do a great ending is something that is a true, true, true achievement. And so... Um, I, I found it very hard to... Narrow it down. To oh my five. God! Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I, so many things kept popping into my head. I didn't entirely. I cheated a tiny bit, but that's okay. I, I did on the beginnings episode too. Episode six, by the way, which is freaking awesome. Check it out. I just picked five that I really liked. I mean, I'm not saying these are the best. I like yours. I like a couple of yours. I 
you know. Yeah, yeah I, no, no I, I can't. I can't say my five are the best endings ever. I right. wouldn't attempt to say that, but at the same time, I, I was trying to get variety. Yeah. And and ones that that also have very very great last shots, but also. They don't just. It's not just a great shot. You, the, the movie has has built up to that right. moment. Exactly, and I think that all I think all of ours qualify for that. But I just have two questions before we begin. Question number one: Will John go with Citizen Kane again? Drum roll, please. No. Oh, all right. I purposely. <laughs> I said I've already. Right. I've talked about Citizen Kane quite a bit. <laughs> So I decided I would not do that, even though I think it's a great ending. And oh, it's brilliant. No, it's, tres- no trespassing. Uh, yeah. I, and the second question it's is... It's everything just leading up to that last uh, part, too. The, the shots of all the paraphernalia in the basement and everything, and the, the flames licking at the, sh- at the sled, and then the, following the smoke out the chimney. But we're not doing a, Citizen Kane, everybody. Just want to let you know. And the second question, of course, is what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> all right, well, the all time, you know, the one film in that, the one scene in that film in Seven that Fincher shoots outdoors, not in the rain in the dark, is just, I, I, that's on my honorable mention list, the end of Seven. That entire sequence out in the desert is just. I have never seen Seven. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, I've seen it. It's very disturbing and yes. upsetting and graphic and kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah, but I saw it once and I, my, I was kind of like, that's enough. It was extreme, and but I the ending it, was completely I, I was unexpected. Well Who directed yeah. that? Fincher. Fincher. It was Fincher's oh, first yeah. great film, mm. and then he had that nice run into the game, and then into Fight Club, and then he became just a really, really good Hollywood director. I didn't like Fight Club, and I, I didn't love, like the game. I love Fight Club. <laughs> Some people put Fight Club on the top of their I know they uh, final endings, shot list. Yeah, endings, yeah. I, I, the building's coming down. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I'll take seven, because that scene is just takes you at about 12 left turns as you go. Well, a lot of people consider... Uh, the ending of Inception is one of one of the great endings. That's in my honorable mentions and that's, too. I mean, it's been analyzed and analyzed and analyzed that that last part. No, and it's I've never had seen that reaction in an audience before when the top is spinning, yeah. spinning, spinning, and it looks like it's wavering a little bit, and then cut to black, and the whole audience went, "Oh, <laughs> come on!" <laughs> it's like no, it's like I love. It. Well, you know, guys know how I feel about Chris Nolan. I think he's maybe our best around today. So, anyhow, so uh, we move on to... Michael, why don't you start us off? Okay, I'm starting off with my all-time favorite movie, which is Vertigo. <laughs> I know we've talked about it several we times. We avoided Vertigo for, I think, four or five episodes. I think it's, it's, it's pretty well, good. it's back. <laughs> it's back. Well, I would chose Thank it goodness. as one of my beginnings. And I'm cho- choosing yes. it as one of yeah, yeah, my yeah, endings. Yeah. And it is an amazing... Amazing ending, uh, with Scotty Ferguson forcing Judy to return to the scene of the crime where Galvin Elster throws his wife off the tower, drags her up to the winding stairway, and then he gets to the top, she pleads with him. She really does love him and didn't want to go through with the murder. None appears. I hear voices. And God Judy throws herself off the tower. Does she or does she fall? Is she's, I've always wondered about we're, that. Well, we're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure. I, was, I always thought that she was she startled, startled by, by the, the nun. By the nun. And she backs up and... I, you're not sure. I, I, I always like to think that she just saw the nun and just gave up. It's, very, it's, it's possible. It's very possible. Well, it's, well, when you first see it, it looks like a ghost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but what's beautiful is the last shot. Scotty just stands there and looks down and looks after her. 
And we don't know what he's going to do. And his arm's in the same yeah. position as he is in the dream. Right. Yeah. yeah. I well, love also, that. also the, that, that shot. Well, I don't want to interrupt you because you're probably going to yeah. say That's okay. But with <laughs> the money where I will. Well, the shot, it's <laughs> the way it's composed. He's It's like he's standing or lying in a grave. Though. Oh, yeah. 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 And we don't, what's beautiful about it is we don't know what he's going to do. If he's going to throw himself off after her. Yeah. He's going to go back to Midge, or if, he, or if he's going to become catatonic again. Yeah. He just stands there, and the film stops. Not even a the end, which is unusual for movies. I'm getting there with the Hitchcock, that. too. What? what <laughs> now, there is an additional ending. Oh, oh the, so Euro- the European. Shot. You had to mention the European oh, ending. Oh, in right. fact, I, I, I have a theory about the European ending, and I, I, I have it on the DVD of, of Vertigo. The DVD says it was an ending that European markets forced Hitchcock to make. Um, and it's Midge listening to the radio in her apartment, and it's announced that Galvin Elster, the mastermind of the murder, was at large in Europe, and authorities were closing on him. She turns off the radio. Scotty walks in the apartment. Midge wordlessly makes him a drink, and that's it. No music, nothing. <laughs> now, I looked up on Wikipedia. They said it wasn't European markets, that it was Paramount, uh, basically the code. Right, wanted, so wanted couldn't that. let a murder get away. Wanted, wanted, wanted an additional ending. And because, look at D.L. Beak. They, they get away with it, you know, yes. and, and that was a very, very popular movie. Now, um, and I think Hitchcock was forced to put on that second ending, and he made it as bland as possible. Because it is a bland ending. Yeah, it's yeah. like like um, the the forced ending to uh, Last Laugh that they did for Murnau. Murnau ended, ended tragically, and they made it end right, with him right. saving this millionaire in the bathroom, remember, who gives him, like, all yeah. his whole... And Murnau made it as stupid as possible to uh, to get back at the, uh, yeah. at the, uh, well, the studio. Well, I think they, they made, he made this as bland as he can, and to my knowledge, it was never actually shown. With, with that ending with in that the ending U.S.? Certainly hope yeah. not. Not even, even in Europe. Europe? No. Really? See, I think that's... I think they're too embarrassed, <laughs> the producers are, of, of the restoration, to admit that it was here that they forced Hitchcock to make that ending. What do you think about the thought that <coughs> after he has... And he basically forces her up there. Yeah. He's, he drags her. There's that yeah. amazing he's got, shot, shot of the feet. feet. He, yeah. He's got to get it out of his system. Mm-hmm. That by doing that and climbing the stairs and and her dying, that he is he's exercised. Yes, he's able to move on. He's well, he's able to. I he's cured it. his vertigo. No, I, I made, made it. it. Yeah, it's possible. But then, look what but happens. Then again, how can yeah? I know. How can someone? I know. We're very apt pupils. We should be able to figure this. Out. <laughs> well, that's what I love about vertigo is the fact that that it doesn't have a definite ending. Surprising for 1958. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's I've run into so many people who just assume that he jumps. I mean, it's just it's I, possible. It's, yeah, a lot. That's what a lot of people. I've heard a lot of people say that it's possible. We never know for sure. Of course, I can, I can if you put on that stupid ending afterwards, then you know he doesn't jump. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, again, I wish some of our more recent filmmakers had. Uh, had ended when they should have, like Hitchcock but knew I, how to do. As, as I said, I'm positive Hitchcock made it as bland and as 
nothing is possible to make sure that they didn't use it. Yeah, no, they're they're almost as catatonic as the scene is when he's in, yeah. the, in the institution. Well, and not even that. I mean, it isn't even done well. It's just, it's just, it looks like they're ready for the setup now. And you it's... know what, Michael? I don't think Mozart's going to help. <laughs> Boy, that's a good one. God, I love that line. I hope, love that oh, whole yeah. scene. Oh. And you never see her again. No, no. Which, and she, which and is that long, that's one long yes. fade out. Yeah. Long fade out. Yeah. It takes forever for such an amazing movie because the way it just, it just, it just keeps pulling you in and mm-hmm. pulling you in and pulling you in. And before I've seen it so many times, and uh, it will show on TV, and it's like, oh, I'll watch the beginning. And before I know, no, I've yeah, watched, yeah, I've no, watched no, no, no. the entire. You can't thing. watch a few minutes of that, dear yeah. Scotty. And so you found me, <laughs> right. yeah. Johnny. What's your number five? I mean, we're not necessarily going in number yeah. order. You're, you're, you're fifth. Okay. Well, the first one I want to talk about is The Searchers. Uh-huh. Nineteen fifty-six, directed by John Ford, with John Wayne, of course, Jeffrey Hunter. Ward Bond, Vera Miles, John Quaylen, Harry Carey Jr., and Natalie Wood. Uh, for those of you that don't know, The Searchers is a western about the search for a girl who has been kidnapped by Indians during a raid. And what I want to talk a little bit is that The Searchers are considered by many to be one of the greatest movies ever made. It's Not just westerns, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's number seven on Sight and Sound's all-time greatest movies list. I personally would not rank it that high. Not I that. think I think there's some great things in the movie. I think it's kind of uneven. Um, I think Wayne is great in it, but some of the acting is not good, and it hurts the film. Not a Jeffrey, Jeffrey Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeffrey that Hunter is <laughs> not good. I mean, I can understand why they cast him. He's the right type for that role, but, but he's, he's not he's, a good he's, actor. He's not good in it, and. Um, mm. It hurts the film. I, Ward Bond is very good. Yeah. Vera Miles is very good. Um, the whole stock there's, company. There's an, yeah. And it, also, there's... I mean, the photography is gorgeous in it. Yes. But there's an occasional jarring studio shot that obviously was not done on location. It doesn't. It just doesn't mesh well. Was it a successful film when it came out? That I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it did really well. Yeah. Um, and I know that uh, the book it was based on had a different ending. Ford, Ford changed the ending. Um, and the score is rather heavy-handed. Yes. It's Max Steiner. Um, and, 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 Ford, and for today's audiences, I'm, I'm sure there's some moments in, in it because it's a Western that was made in the 1950s that mm. would make you cringe. Yeah. Well, some, uh, well we have to s- I find most of Ford's Westerns haven't aged that well. Yeah. I, I think I would ag- I would agree with of, that. Of the oh. ones that have aged the best, I would say it's the Although people searchers. people need searchers. to see Cheyenne Autumn because that was Cheyenne you know that Autumn was, is, is an, think it's an underrated movie. That was yeah, it's taking the, the, yeah. the, the Indians' point of view. Yeah, it's, a very inter- it's a very yeah. interesting movie. If you haven't seen um, it, check it out. Sixty four yeah. Cheyenne Autumn. Um, I think Western. that I think that our darling Clementine has aged pretty well. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that in a that's while. Yeah, I think that's aged pretty well. Apache has not. No. Um, the whole trilogy hasn't no. Yellow Ribbon and uh, and I do like Liberty Valance except that James Stewart, Stewart is too is old. Too old. Do you know how I feel about this movie? Yeah, it's too but old. getting back to the Searchers, I think the last shot of Searchers is one of the most beautiful and greatest last shots of any movie ever made. Uh, the entire movie just slowly builds up to that last shot. It's so beautiful. The, the the use of the framing of the door, which is also the way it begins, and after what we've seen everybody go through, we want him so much to become a part of that family, but it 
you just can't do it. Too much poison in the veins. This, yep. Yeah, there's you just no can't room do for it. that. But the ending is kind of the same as Liberty Valance. He, he there's no yeah. there's no room for him in yeah. this new West. Yeah. All right. Or like Once yeah. Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. You know, there's there's just no room for for that kind of brutal violence that he represents and the yeah. racism. Yeah. That he. Ruined. Yeah. And you and you think that maybe perhaps after he's he's scalped Scar. And, and he has finally found his niece, that maybe he has exercised himself of this poison, but he just can't allow himself to be part of that family, and he's, he's basically destined to wander alone the rest of his life. It's very sad. Yep, and the door just closes, literally. Yep. It's so beautiful. Through a black screen. And, Which everyone has copied and, that's and stolen. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Tarantino, in particular, uh, from Bastards, yeah. Glorious Bastards. Oh, yes. Mm. And that first scene, at the end of that first scene. There is no more iconic final shot than that. I can't. Yeah. Uh, I can't argue with that. Um, I'm cheating for number for my number five. Um, I have my three favorite films that end in smiles, just a silent smile. All right. First of all, City Lights. Yeah, I, I, that's that's one I considered doing. The end of City Lights is, you know, when when the the he's he's sacrificed everything to give the blind girl her sight back and now she's she's working in the flower shop and she sees him out there and she thinks he's adorable and begging for some money but she touches his hand yeah and the card just reads you question mark and chaplin nods and just the, and virginia cheryl who played the girl is terrible i mean you know among you know no paulette got it <laughs> well, but, um, not everybody can be paulette got yeah, yeah. Uh, but and the smile on chaplin's face is just pure transcendence i happen a lot of the 30s films i prefer modern times as a whole but the ending of city that just that smile yeah I, city I prefer Lights. modern times too but yeah you can't beat that ending number two um manhattan yeah, uh, when, oh when, God, he, when he runs a, all the well, way across, well, it's sort of it's sort of an homage to City Lights. Yes, and and you know she's just about to leave, catches her just as she's about to leave for London, and you know he's like, "You're going to meet all kinds of people in London," and and she says, "Sometimes you just have to trust people," and off she goes, and the yeah. camera's on him, and just that smile. Yep. Yeah. Um, My it, favorite Woody Allen. Yeah, I it, it, the creepiness of the of the high school girl aside. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know I can't listen in terms of how it's shot, in terms of how it's scored. Who can argue? Yeah, I mean I'm from Philadelphia. I believe in God. So <laughs> I mean who can argue? <laughs> or as Diane Keaton refers to Marion Hamid, is that the little girl? <laughs> Van Gogh, like an Arab, she said it. Right? Oh God, I love that movie. Um, <laughs> And finally, and finally, the all-time best smile ever, um, Sully in Monsters Inc. When um, mm, at yeah. the end of Mon- which is which yeah. I think is Pixar's masterpiece. Uh, you can make an argument for Nemo. You can make an argument for Toy Story. You can make an argument. I, for I like Monsters for Wally or for um, <laughs> in, even Inside Out, which I think is just unbelievably smart. But Monsters Inc. creates this universe out of whole cloth, and in the end, of course, Mike is able to surprise Sully by rebuilding the door to Boo's room. And you see Sully come in the closet door from Boo's perspective as though she's lying in bed. And she says, Kitty! And the smile on his face is, it's the whole movie. It's just, it's just, it's just worth it for that. So, Best movie ending smiles ever, City Lights, Manhattan, and Monsters, Inc. That's my co-number five. I'm ashamed to say I've not seen Monsters, Inc. Oh, it's definitely, yeah, that's, I think, that might, I think you might be right. I think that might be the best Pixar movie. Pixar's at wow. their best when they create universes really? out of whole cloth. Because, I mean, I, I, I love um, 
Um, what is Wally? Yes. Yeah, see that. Uh, Wally's a very, very close second. That to me, uh, if it's better than Wally, then I really should see it. Well, and of course, as a silent movie guy, I love Wally for the first forty minutes, which oh, are completely yeah. without dialogue. Yeah. I mean, just wondrous. Like a little bit of Jerry Herman. All right. Yes. A little <laughs> Hello Dolly. <laughs> that's right. That. Don't yep. forget that. <laughs> All right, number four, Mike. Number four. This is the only. Um, by the way, with one exception, all of the my films were considered financial failures or not financially... Those are the ones we love. ...successful films. And this one uh, is the only one that was on my f- uh, favorite for the intro. Best opening. I got one. And that's too. Nashville. And, I uh, knew he was going to go next. <laughs> Did you see it? Did you I see sure as hell uh, went. And I, and I talked to uh, Joan Tewksbury. Wow. It was a very long Q&A. Afterwards, because it was the last showing of the evening. For non-New York, they actually showed Nashville on a um, on the big screen down at Film and Forum. And Film Forum, it's a new Film 4K Forum. restoration. Wow. Pristine print. Anyway, and there were a lot of people in the audience who hadn't seen it. And that was kind of, oh, good. kind of fun, too. Uh, to describe for people who haven't seen, it's 24 characters. At the end of this film, all characters except one, Karen Black... Because Karen Black never appears when the lead singer appears, are at the uh, Nashville Parthenon for a concert for a political candidate. Hal Philip Walker, the two leads, Barbara Jean, Ronnie Blakely, and Haven Hamilton. They're singing. See the camera roams the stage and then it roams the audience. And then Barbara Jean sings "My Idaho Home," and once again we see the camera going to other singers on the stage and we see the, the various characters in the audience. And then at the end. Barbara Jean is shot mm. by Kenny for seemingly no reason at all. Haven is also shot as he was giving flowers to Barbara Jean and he yells, they can't do this to us. This isn't Dallas. This is Nashville. Sing, sing, sings. And he gives the microphone to Albuquerque, the housewife who's run away from her husband. And she winds up singing beautifully. And we don't hear her at all throughout Love the film. Her. And it wasn't a surprise to me because it was played by Barbara Harris, who won a Tony Award for The Apple Tree, which is considered singing three different roles is considered a hard role to sing. Uh, And then she sings It Don't Worry Me, of all songs, which uh, Keith Carradine wrote. And the crowd surprisingly settles down. You know, uh, Barbara Jean is taken off the stage by all the other musicians, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. It was this time I actually watched it. It was like literally all the other musicians who were scheduled to sing are carrying her off. And we presume that she dies because you hear her husband saying, I can't stop the blood. And that's the only line of dialogue you hear for the rest of the film. And then you see the other reaction to some of the other characters to the uh, assassination attempt. The the vet who was in love with her, the would-be singer, Suleen Gay, who wanted to be what, wanted to be her. And the concert just continues with Albuquerque singing it, Don't Worry Me, backed up by the Black Gospel Choir. And then the audience joins in, and it seems that everything has been forgotten about the attempted murder. The camera pulls back from the Parthenon and the huge sign that says, Hal Philip Walker for president, Hmm. and the American flag. And everybody's singing it, Don't Worry Me. And the camera raises and looks up at the sky and films over. And that's it. So powerful. And... Little piece of trivia that I found out through Miss Tewksbury. There was another scene in the film uh, Barbara Harris was supposed to have shot, where you actually do hear her sing, and it's it's done in some sort of um, uh, studio. 
And this particular day, she didn't show up. She was like four, four hours late. Altman was ready to kill her. <laughs> Barbara Harris was supposedly a little nutty, although Hitchcock adored her. Apparently yeah. He was the one who talked her into doing Family Plot. Family Plot, plot yeah. But uh, so she just didn't show. And, he's, and he, when she finally did come, he said, fuck it, we're not going to shoot this scene. And Tewksbury realized that really added to the film because it was important that we don't hear his scene yeah. right. until yeah. the very end. Yeah. Again, great filmmakers yeah. realizing that what you don't show is often more powerful than what you do. The question that I asked Ms. Tewksbury, because i was been wanting to know this for 44 years, is <laughs> I had read that there was an eight-hour version and then... It was he, Altman cut it to three hours and thirty minutes, and it was the studio that cut it down to this, the version that we see now, and that's not true. He did the cutting. Uh. He had full control. He realized he had to make it less yeah. than three and a half hours, and he, it was all him. So, um, did anyone talk to her about the ending? Did she actually, the way the ending is in the movie? Did she actually write that, or was it yes? But she did uh, a lot of it was improv. A yeah, lot of it I was because I know how Altman made yeah, movies right. and the way he allowed everything yeah. to be very very loose but and she encouraged was actors to improv and sometimes write their own characters. And Basically, yeah, it was structured that that character would be shot, which, by the way, upset Barbara Streisand to no end. Really, when she saw that movie. Yeah, because this is one of her big fears. Oh. <laughs> and. When John Lennon was killed, apparently reporters came to both Tewksbury and, and uh, Altman saying, well, you know, this is your fault, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> All right, then. But, but, yeah, no, as as beautiful an evocation of what America is as mm-hmm. anything you'll ever see or read. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's yeah, a masterpiece. It's, it's, it is one of the best. It, definitely his best, and I think one of the best films Although I have a sneaking love for McCabe and Mrs. Miller, but you know it, that's a great that's movie a, that's too. A good movie. It's, it's yeah. so hard to see Altman on a big screen. They don't. I've, I've I've seen almost no Altman on a big screen. I know, and that's, that's what's so great about this. You know, Nashville yeah, just being that's if you get a chance to see yeah. any Altman on a big screen, especially from seventy to seventy-seven or so. Absolutely, take Which advantage. brings up that all the movies we're talking about deserve to be seen on a big screen. Oh, absolutely. No, no. Well. Yeah, we got to keep the big screens going. I that's know. why I pay five dollars for ten dollars for the popcorn or whatever, because that's where they make their money. I'm like, okay, I could bring in my candy, but if this is what keeps them open, <laughs> I'll do that. Johnny O, number four. Ah, okay. My next movie is Open City. Ah. 19, Chita Berta. 1945. One of the first movies of the Italian neorealist movement. Uh, directed by Roberto Rossellini with Aldo Fabrizi as the priest, Anna Magnani, Oof. and Marcello Paglieri. Cross yourself uh, when you, you say that. Yourself. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I'll that. Cross yourself whenever you say Anna and Magnani. Magnani yeah. Yeah. And, and Aldo Fabrizi, he's great in it. He's really great. He's a non-actor, right? He was... No, he, oh, no, 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 no. They, the, um, there are people in the cast who were non-actors. Right. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know, Open City takes place during a Nazi occupation of Italy, specifically Rome, and it's about people involved in the resistance. And I urge anyone who has never seen this movie to see it as soon as you can, because it is one of the great movies, one of the milestones of, of cinema, especially the Italian realist, that's very accessible. 
Yes, and a complete turning point there. I mean, yeah. I, I hate to cliche it, but there was film before Open City and there was film after. Yeah. It opened up a whole new possibility. Yes, yes, and even though, uh, because it was made under very adverse conditions and a rather low budget, um, uh, because uh, when, when the, the Mussolini government fell, the whole Italian movie making, everything was just a shambles. Yeah. So uh, they had problems getting film. Um, there were problems with the way it was exposed. I mean, anything you could think of that went wrong pretty much went wrong. Uh, the amount of film they get, they would sometimes only get like little pieces of film, you know. It's so uh, just all, all sorts of problems. But um, and he used some some amateurs. Um, some of the acting is a little bit uneven, but there's two just great, powerful performances in it. Um, uh, the ending uh, I will oh. <laughs> <laughs> Father Pietro who is the epitome of what a priest should be he's kind and compassionate he stands up to evil he has been involved with helping the resistance and he's been arrested by the Gestapo and eventually after being forced to witness uh, the person he helped being tortured who eventually dies um, his execution is done in a way that is, it's so simple mm. that makes it more real and more powerful. And the thing is, the children that he's been involved with, who are also part of the resistance, they come to where the, the execution is to be and they, they start whistling. They get his attention to know that they're there, they're supporting him, they're with him. And after, uh, after he's he's murdered, the last shot of the movie is the children walking away by twos, arm in arm, supporting each other in their grief. Uh, they're they're devastated. We're devastated. But the the way that that it's shot and the way that the children walk away with, with their arms together, supporting each other, you know that they're going to continue. On, to go on and you know that they're not going to give up the fight and there there is there is some positive energy in that last shot would you would you put it i i, I put bicycle thief slightly higher just as, the look. as a movie in, no, in the, general, ending. the ending just the look on the father's face after oh, he stole oh, the yeah. bicycle is he, yeah. he's and they're walking away with oh, something you know papa papa and uh, i well it's the, the shame oh god it's yeah. it's 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 just yeah. wow. They're both great movies. I mean, it's almost like apples and oranges. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you know, there's a reason Ingrid Bergman ran away with with him. Oh. I mean, you and know. she was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I would have done the same thing. Although, although I the, the only one of the Bergman films I really love is uh, Voyage in Italia. Yeah. The George. That Sanders one is one. pretty good. Yeah. That's but. Uh, the others are not. Technically, but a whole different way to make movies. You yeah. very rarely see that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a beautiful. And again, it is hopeful in a film that is so bleak and realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And 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 I think I think today's filmmakers could really learn a lot by watching Open City because some of the violence that is done so simply, yeah. but it makes it more real and more powerful. And now we're so involved with. Pyrotechnics. I blame Sam Peckinpah yeah. for showing you know, everyone shot in slow motion three different <laughs> ways, you know, in uh, Wild Bunch. Are you trying like to start a fight with me? <laughs> no, um, um, but uh, the fetishizing. Well, Bonnie and Clyde is one of my honorable mentions because yeah, that was a great, a great, oh, great God, ending. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, can't 
beat that. Yeah. Um, for my number four, I'm doing one more multiple entry, and then I'll stop with that, I promise. It's, um, He's cheating! I'm cheating. I cheated on the beginnings, I'm cheating on this one too. <laughs> freely admit it. It's three movies that have endings that don't really happen, that are imagined by the characters involved. All right, so um, I start with Brazil. Um, oh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil from 1995, where Sam Lowry, Jonathan Price's character, is captured. Um, he's after he's joined the rebels and is being tortured, you know, in the chair by Michael Palin. Uh, and then out of nowhere comes Robert De Niro as Tuttle and all the and everyone they come save yeah. him and they you see him with Kim Greist in the truck and they're driving to freedom. And no, that's not what's happening. He's back in the chair. He's always been in the chair. And we see the face of Michael Palin and the other guy looking in and saying, oh, we've lost him. His mind snapped. But so it is a tragic ending in that Sam has lost his mind. And yet, in a sense, he is free. There is yeah. a certain freedom that he's gotten from that. The only kind of freedom you could get in the society that Brazil right. details. So um, that was a stunner. Because I, I, I thought, oh, my God, he escaped. Cool. And wait, what? And I was like, okay, that's even better. Number two is The 25th Hour, which I think is Spike Lee's most underrated film. Um, it's about the last day of freedom in the life of Monty, who, played by Edward Norton, who's uh, a brilliant kid, gets a scholar, fireman's son, gets a scholarship to go to private school and just tosses it all away, dealing, you know, as a low-level drug dealer. He's caught. He doesn't rat out the people he works for, so he's going to prison for them. How and long he, was he supposed to go in for? It was quite a while. Quite a while. Wasn't and it? he's, yeah. you know, and he's not, he's too soft for prison. Remember, so he has Barry, Barry Pepper plays his friend and he has him punch him you know, in the park in the morning so he'd be ugly and, and they'll leave him alone. He's driving with Brian Cox plays his dad and that, that, that's the film that 9-11 is all over. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, I think it's, it's a minor masterpiece from Spike. They're coming up to the George Washington Bridge and Brian Cox narrates what might happen if instead of continuing up into Rockland where the prison is up in Ossining, what would happen if they Sing just... Sing. Yeah. Sing Sing Gettys, Sing Sing, and sorry, I had to. And uh, <laughs> that's from Citizen Kane, folks. Yeah, we can't do. We can, we, can, we have to leave Kane in there. Um, and what would happen if you made a right turn and went on the exit ramp and headed west on the GW and kept on? And so, and he, the father, imagines this whole life. You know, he could start over fresh, and you see him getting older with a family and new friends and a right. job out in the middle of nowhere. And Brian Cox says, you can never come home, but at least you'll be happy and safe. And cut, and we're back, and we're still in the car, and we're still heading north. It was just, uh, it was just a thought. Yeah. But what a lovely thing. Yeah. And of course, finally, the only film that is on both my beginnings and endings, you guys are going to hate it, it's La La Land. All right? Because, again, you get, when she comes to the club with her new guy... And you get this beautiful, because it's, it's expressionist, you know, the backgrounds are so yeah, yes. fake and deliberately dreamlike about what might have happened if they'd stayed together, if, yeah. if, um, if, if the two of them, had, Sebastian and Mia, had stayed together. And you get this little scenario, this little dreamlike scenario of what might have happened, and then you zoom in on the piano, and it's... it's it's we're right back where we started. It's Ryan Gosling up on stage playing, and she's still out there in the audience with her guy. I will say I liked the ending of La La Land much, much more than I did the beginning. Yeah, we, you guys didn't like the song. Well, We've I, been the through the song. That. Is, I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah I, the beginning. Just another yeah, day of sun here in Vintage Sand. And then, and the ending has a special poignancy because he was very instrumental in 
where she is now. Yeah, right. She's no success without him, and yeah. she's also an, inspira- she's an inspiration. She's an inspiration yeah. to him in terms of yeah. you know he he comes to own the club, which was his dream, and. Yes. I, I just thought it was a, a, a perfect ending in a movie of very perfect moments. Not a perfect movie, but lots of perfect moments. So again, those sort of false endings of Brazil by Terry Gilliam, of 25th Hour by Spike Lee, and um, La La Land by Damien Chazelle. Michael, okay. numero tres. Numero tres. Uh, the Sidney Lumet's film version of Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey Into Night. Mm. And along with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I think this is one of the best filmed plays ever made. Which ain't yes. easy to do. Yes. This one is much more straightforward than Virginia Woolf, and there's very, very little attempt to open it up, which I think is a good thing. But the final scene, where Mary Tyrone comes into the parlor, dragging her wedding dress, and she's totally zonked on morphine. Her husband, James, and her two sons, Jamie and Edmund, are sitting drunk at the table. They've been this, we've been leading up to this scene for like the last hour. And happily, there was very little that was cut out of the uh, original script. In fact, Eugene O'Neill was given credit for the script, which <laughs> which was kind of odd, seeing as he'd been dead for seven years. But uh, oh, T.S. Eliot got credit for Cats, so there that's, you go. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, then Mary plays the piano, something unrecognizable, and then starts to talk about how her hands have become crippled and how her high school nun teacher was going to scold her because she hadn't been practicing. And as she is talking, the camera slowly, but very slowly, moves away from the table. She's now talking about how she has seen the Reverend Mother of her school and how she wants to become a nun. And the Reverend Mother is, talk- is talking her out of it. She says she should go to parties after graduating. And then if she see if she still decides she wants to be a nun, she can always come back the following year. And as she tells this story, the camera continues in, in, in one move to pull back until all we see is a small white dot on the screen against the night fog. And then bang, a close-up of, of Mary with a line, that was the summer of my senior year. I forgot what happened then. Oh yes, I met James Tyrone and fell in love and was so happy for a time. And then we see fast close-ups of all the three men and then one more of Mary and then it resumes to the white dot. Mm. Film is over. Now, I have to say, I, I prejudice... Uh, I'm getting my, chills just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's extraordinary. <laughs> this, is my fa- this is my favorite play of all time. Yeah. I have seen... Seven different productions of this play, four in New York, three in London, plus three television um, productions. And yet I've never seen a better James Tyrone by Ralph Richardson, and I've never really seen a better Mary Tyrone than Catherine Hepburn. And, And I tell anybody who says, oh, Catherine Hepburn, she always does the same thing. I always tell them. No. Watch Long Day's Journey in Tonight, watch Bringing Up Baby, and watch The Philadelphia Story. You tell me. She's always the same. Yeah, that's the same actress, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she is just... And they only shot it. They shot it in three weeks. It was an incredibly low-budget film. And it, unfortunately, it didn't make any money, although Hepburn did get one of her zillion Oscar nominations for it. And it's just... It's just, to me, 
I, powerful, I agree. It's it's my film. favorite play too, and I also think it's still the best version of that play that's that's around. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I I, like, I saw the Philip Seymour Hoffman. That uh, was pretty that, close. That was pretty that good. Was, that, that was that was it. Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave yeah, 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 yeah. was very was as, I think as good as happened, but different. Yes. Uh, and I thought Robert Sean Lennon was the best uh, Edmund I've ever seen. Terrific. I didn't care 100 percent for Dennehy. No, I, I, yeah, I yet, yeah. He's too Willie Loman. I've and I've seen some terrible. Um, Ralph Richardson is absolutely Ralph Richardson superb never brilliant. was surpassed in that role, and I, I, he's never gotten the credit well, for that and, part that he deserves. Let's give some love to the Met. I, you know, I was swinging by Turner Classic the other day, and Twelve Angry Men was on, which I could recite the dialogue. Yeah. I've seen it so yeah, many I've times, seen it so many and times. I couldn't, I couldn't turn it off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I get, I start, I, I was, oh, Twelve Angry, I start getting involved with it again. The Met is such he, an underrated because you very rarely see him directing. Right, and even in his failures, even his failures are interesting. Frankly, no argument. I mean. As loopy as the whiz was, there are still some wonderful scenes in that movie. All right, it's well, a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. But there are some <laughs> scenes in there that are good, and I've never seen. The, I've never seen the show. I, yeah, so. I, I, I would say that that version of Long Days is probably the best version of any play of any movie. Yeah, uh, you know, a movie version of any play. Maybe. Yeah. Virginia Woolf is also high on my list. Oh yeah, because of yes. what they, how they open it up. Yeah, and how brilliantly they yeah. open it no, up. No, it's no, it's. But it's this one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of other. I can't think of any that are made in that league. Mm. I have a soft place in my heart for the Daniel Day Lewis um, Crucible. Uh, really? When, yeah, I do. Love, my students love that. Oh, but, interesting. See, but I no, they're happy with that. There's though. never been a great death of a salesman. And no, and this is the same year that. The film version of the Miracle Worker Miracle came Worker? out and mm-hmm. Raisin in the Sun. Yeah, yeah, which is which is a pretty pretty. Yeah, check out episode two, our early '60s American That's Black right. and White. <laughs> yep, check it out. We're there. You knew I was All going right. there. Let's gonna ease on down the road now to John for his number three. Okay, now number three is The Godfather Part Two. Uh, is there anyone out there that has not seen the Godfather movies? <laughs> If they are, they don't... They're not listening to us. Right, exactly. Exactly. Originally, I was going to go with Godfather 1, the famous closing of the door, door. which completely alienates us from Michael. Um, But I decided to do part two. Uh, 1974, directed by Francis Ford Coppola again. Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, Robert De Niro, John Cazale, Hmm. Robert Duvall, Lee Strasberg. Um, I'm not going to start to go into the entire movie or uh, I mean oh why not we're all we're chairman of the board we got nothing but time we're going to go right (laughs) we're going to go right to the fact that that Michael has ordered the execution of his brother Fredo Um, we see Michael alone as he's after pretty much right after it's been done because he's watched it from his room after out on the lake. Out on the lake. And we see Michael alone as he's thinking about... We're not really sure what he's thinking about, but there is a flashback, a past incident with his family. Michael, Sonny, Tom, Fredo, and Connie are getting ready for their father's surprise birthday party, which happens to also be... It's not. I forget. It's not quite clear if it's actually... The, it's the day after, I think, Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And... 
they all start they just starts to come up and Sonny says they're all a bunch of saps and Michael tells them that he's enlisted he's in enlisted. the Marines. Yeah. And Michael and Sonny fight about the fact that Michael is enlisted and it's Fredo that praises him for doing so and offers his hand to Michael. Mm -hmm. And we see a different Michael. He's idealistic and does not want to be part of the so-called family business. And when their father gets home, they all, they all leave and we just see Michael sitting there alone at the table and we hear off camera, surprise, and again he's alone. And then we, it dissolves to Michael in the present, he's older, he's, he's aged. If, I, I think sometimes people don't catch it when they watch it on a small TV. If you see in the big screen, it's obviously he's aged, it's years later, he's alone. He's completely alienated himself from his family and has betrayed himself and the ideals and aspirations he had as a young man. And that's the ending of the movie. That no, and it's perfect. It's almost like the equivalent of the uh, of the baptism slash wiping out of the Corleone yeah. enemies. Yeah. It's it's the yeah. two sides of him, and the right. the devil wins both times. Yeah. yeah. Do you renounce the devil in all of his works? I do. <laughs> I do. Boom. Yeah, and that's and that's it. It's. Boy, was he a good filmmaker in that yeah. decade. Yeah. It's a yeah. devastating ending. Uh, yeah, yeah. Too bad they followed it with three, but, uh, well, could have been good. Three's not as bad no. as everyone says. It's just no, not it's as a good, good movie. as it could have been. Yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. It's just not on the same level as the other two. And yeah, as to not. why he decided to cast his daughter, we'll never That's know. It was supposed to be Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder, and she had some sort of breakdown, was ill, whatever. Couldn't, couldn't I'm not sure if Winona Ryder would have been that good. I'm not... She would have been better. Better yeah. than yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> Poor Sophia. Well, she didn't even well, really want to she do discovered it. directing, no, so yeah. She did she looked as if although I saw her act in a couple other films and she didn't seem to want to be in them either. <laughs> Why am I here? Yeah. Exactly. What exactly am I doing here? My and my purpose is Yeah, I can't I don't like that's a tough call just between one and two. They're both so so powerful in their own way. Yes. Um, for my number three, I'm going to Hitchcock. Um, but I, you know, of course, my first, everyone's first thought with endings in Hitchcock is usually Psycho. You know, yes. that, that intense Kubrick like yeah, close up. Well, I'm not even going to squat that fly. That's such a, that's so, so amazing. Although it's kind of ruined by Simon Oakland's explanation. His, well, I always uh, thought saw that as sort of like someone kind of making fun of, of, of a psychiatrist who yeah. thinks he can just explain everything well, away. Well, see. <laughs> Norman was... Yeah, exactly. We've talked about that before. But I'm going to go with the next film. Um, because when I saw The Birds for the first time, um, I, I was completely appalled at the ending. I, I, I didn't understand it. Because for those of you who have not seen the film, I'm not giving anything away because it doesn't end. We see the birds massing for another attack. Yeah. Tippi Hedren's been attacked. She's more, more so than usual. My God, there's like thousands of them. She's starting to go into shock. We think so they've got to get her out of yeah. there. And we have, as we talked about before, that moment 
Uh, we, when we talked about our favorite Hitchcock moments, I mentioned the moment in the backseat of the car where Jessica Tandy sort of strokes her shoulder, and it's yeah. the first positive human connection moment in that entire film. And, John, you suggested that maybe that means the birds won't attack because the bird right. attacks do seem like a metaphor for our inability to yes. connect with each other. And they drive away into the distance, into the distance, into the distance, further and further and further. The birds are massing... Fade to white, a universal picture. Right. Also, the sounds of the birds gets louder. Yeah. As they, no, as they drive away. not even the end, as as with Vertigo, as Michael pointed out about Vertigo. And I, I remember seeing it at the Regency, up on and saying, "Is there a real missing here? Did I?" No. Did <laughs> it, did I never, no, I never thought that. Oh, I mean, how do you end it? I mean, we don't know what happens to them. Are they okay? Is this only happening in Bodega Bay? Is it happening? Only in California? Is it happening all over the world? Why is it happening? Is it like, yeah. you know, nuclear testing like Godzilla or something? <laughs> and just, it always now reminds me of Othello, of, of the end of Othello mm. when, you know, Othello tries to stab Iago and Othello's a soldier and he's, he can't even kill the devil. So, and, and he just says, just tell me one thing, man. Why? Why did you do this to me? Iago's answer, as they drag him away, is from this point on, I will not speak word. Because, as we've talked about before, the only thing scarier than evil with a reason is evil without a reason. Total chaos. And that's what... Can you imagine... Think about... I was going to pose this as a question. How, how would they end the birds now? There'd be way too much emphasis on the pyrotechnics. <laughs> oh yeah, there'd be a you know huge. They'd be flamethrowers and yeah, you know. Yeah, and just someone dressed like Colonel Sanders frying it would, the chicken. It would, and it, it would lose. <laughs> no, and then and I and whoever would attempt to remake it would never understand how how the bird attacks are used to express the the alienation between the characters when they're not connecting or there's something. Something, some, some sort of chaotic relationship that's that's coming, coming so, to, to to four. So the question is, what's happened to our imagination between 1963 and 2019? Because you're right, I don't think anyone could get away with the kind of ending that Hitchcock had in the birds. Too much television. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, but it may be. I mean, you know, people will argue that you know what killed music. What some people killed pop. This thing killed pop music was MTV, in the sense that it handed you the images rather than you having to sort of create create them for yourself. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I I just can't imagine them making it today. No one would have the guts to make that ending today. No, true. I think. Well, also, I or think, a, I think like Vertigo. Yes, Same absolutely. Thing. There might be too many filmmakers now whose life is just film. They're not living a life and then using that to express John, something in the film. John, I think that is film. absolutely uh, right. Shoo, Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not to mention any names, Quentin Tarantino. No, but even my, some of my best film students, you know, lived in film. And the, if they got good advice along the way, it was, you know, go out and live your life. That's where your ideas will come from. Your ideas yeah. will come from life, not from film. You yeah. can learn technique, but yeah, absolutely. But And I've said this to you guys before. People having taught for over 30 years now. People say, you know, what's the difference between the intelligence level of the kids back then and now? And I would say the kids today are just as smart yeah, okay. as they were. And in some ways, especially technically, much, much smarter. But in terms of imagination, no. It's been kind of sucked out of them somehow, and so you'll never see an ending like the birds again that leaves every single 
question unanswered, not even a one. So also, because since you had mentioned Othello, Shakespeare, we know that Hitchcock was a big reader of Shakespeare. It shows up in his movies oh, over and over Indeed, and over again. indeed. Yeah, so... Big reader, period. Yeah, but Shakespeare's coming back in my next one, too, but that's a whole other story. There's a moment in the ending, the ending part, that I always loved. Uh, when they first come out of the house, and Rod Taylor goes and puts his hand on the railing, and that one bird goes, reaches over and snaps at him. It's like, don't, 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 likely you'll lose your cool. Yeah, and don't bring the freaking lovebirds, Veronica Cartwright. What are you thinking? Oh, Haven't you ever seen these movies? Come on. Jeez. Wow, come on. Why does she go upstairs? I know, and she does the same thing in Alien, too. Veronica Cartwright just never learns. Why does Debbie Hedrick go upstairs? <laughs> you don't see her anymore, do you? Don't go up there. No, where are you? She kind of dis- She's a good actress. Good actress. But she kind of disappeared. Well, because she probably went into the attic when she heard a noise. I mean, hello. <laughs> All right, Michael, number two. Okay, well, we're from, rolling. The, from the birds, we're going, this is sort of related a little bit. <laughs> Duck soup. Yes, burns the duck soup. <laughs> Which, as I was watching it last week, I realized this has absolutely nothing to do with duck soup. This movie. What? The title. Oh yeah, no, it's completely well. Or yeah, horse just, feathers, or monkey there. business, or yeah. Oh, it's I mean, just. It's anarchy. It's it's total anarchy. But this, along with one that John is going to do, one of my favorite comedic endings, and I thought we needed a little comedy here. Hail Fredonia. Uh, by the way, let's not forget, this is one of the... This is the best Marx Brothers movie, I think. Easily. It's considered the best, although it was considered a big failure when it came out. It was That was why uh, Irving Thalberg deemed that they had to have a romantic subplot. Um, Thus Alan Jones. Alan Jones and Kitty Carlisle. <laughs> the poor man Seppo. Yeah, well... There's no way to go through life. True. <laughs> true. But anyway... The country of Fredonia. Hail. Hail, hail, Fredonia. <laughs> Land of the brave and free. Anyway, is at war with the nation of Slovenia. <laughs> the four Marx brothers are being are held up in a fortress with Mrs. Teasdale. Yes. The, na- the nation's benefactress. <laughs> Several of the Slovenian soldiers walk right into the fortress and are taken prisoner. Then its leader, Ambassador Tantino, comes in and is captured. And he's played by Louis Kilhern. Mm-hmm who brilliantly keeps a straight face throughout the entire movie. As does Miss Dumont. I, I, well, Miss Dumont, according to Groucho, never understood what was going on. <laughs> all the better. Which is maybe all the better. I think Louis Calhoun probably did know and just had to keep a straight face. Anyway, President Rufus T. Firefly says that that's game, and the four Marx brothers start throwing oranges and grapefruit at uh, Ambassador Tantino. And he says, I surrender! But Firefly says, sorry, you have to wait till the fruit runs out. <laughs> and they keep throwing it. And then in the background, Mrs. Teasdale says, victory is ours! And proceeds to sing the Fredonia National the anthem. anthem. Hail, hail Fredonia! <laughs> and the, four, the brothers stop. They just look at her, turn to look at her, and they start throwing fruit at her. And the funniest thing about that scene is she does not stop singing. <laughs> and that's the end, and it's 
a brilliant end to a brilliant movie, and I'm curious what young people would think of something like that today. Marx Brothers doesn't play that well. Doesn't? Yeah, I doesn't, was wondering. Yeah, I don't. Because, as I, I think we were talking about this uh, in a recent episode, because, you know, accent humor, no. Um, silent humor, Harpo is cute, but they don't, and Groucho is just too fast for them. Oh, yeah. my God. But I think it, it goes it's also, flying by. I think it's also partly the way those movies were made. Um, long takes mm. yeah long takes static camera and I think a lot of younger people today just they, they find that hard to get into well and that you know it's really a radical movie oh, oh yeah it's, it's, it's oh, yeah. politics it's, it's chaos, are, are, although yeah. Leo McCary was supposedly a right wing republican so uh, go figure it's it's almost dataist Yes, it is. Yeah. It's it's like the funny side of Lodge Door or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Bill had a sense of humor, he would have yeah. made that. Just yeah, a couple exactly. of lines I want to throw out. Oh, I God, I've so many. I welcome you with open arms. I like to stay open. <laughs> <laughs> I see you bending over a stove. Only I can't see the stove. <laughs> and of course, Hold me closer. My closer. <laughs> and then, of course, my favorite. Remember, you're fighting to uphold the honor of this woman, which is more than she ever did. More than she ever did. I just love the whole scene with Louis Calhoun and Chico and Harpo about uh, shadowing fire. Oh, oh, yeah. Thursday yeah. was a doubleheader. Nobody showed up. <laughs> Friday, we fool him. We don't show up. <laughs> But did you shadow Firefly? Oh, sure, we shadow him all day. What day was that? Shadow day. Pretty good joke. But why, why did that movie not succeed? I'm curious. I don't know. Maybe people miss the musical interludes. I find yeah. that hard to believe. But uh. Yeah, because they, they usually would drag the... I mean, Night of the Opera wasn't too bad with its influence. Oh, no, and neither was Day at the Races. But, but, um, but like, uh, I was watching Coconuts the other night, and it's, oh, my God, it's so... Rickety. Well, it, it's stage-bound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. But by Animal Crackers, they're moving, and those yeah. next three or four films, all of them are just beyond classic. You can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If you can't leave in a huff, leave in a minute in a huff. <laughs> okay, you win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to take up the tax. Well, you have to take up the carpet first. No, he's right. If you want to take up the tax, you should take up the carpet first. <laughs> And the whole thing with Ed Kennedy and the Lemonade, oh, you know, the classic God. silent film, it's just, uh, slow it's, burn and it's actor. A t- it's a short movie. It's only 71 minutes. Yeah. yeah it's it a is. really short film, but there's just so much in there. That and the classic thing with him looking oh, at the mirror. <laughs> the mirror. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, the mirror bit, yeah. That's just, just brilliant. Anyway, that's my number two favorite I, ending. I cannot cannot argue with that. John out? Ah, I'm up? Okay. Well, sorry to bring you all down. Go ahead. My uh, second to last one is a Japanese film. Ah. Yugetsu. 1953, directed by the great Kenji Mitsuguchi. Um, I don't want to start going into the entire synopsis of the movie. It will just take too long. But the movie is, it's sort of a fable takes place during, we're not quite sure exactly what time it is, possibly 16th century. I think so, during the Shogunate, I think. Yeah. Um, It's about the perils of placing dreams above reality. And usually putting women in the way. Yes. It being Mizuguchi, so they always suffer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And then to put it simply, a, a maker of earthenware, pots, after a little bit of success, he becomes obsessed becoming rich and famous and making many more pots 
And because of this, his distorted ambition becomes his undoing and it indirectly causes the death of his wife. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail about exactly what happens because if you have not seen this movie and you care about movies, you have to see it. Yep. I, I took my wife to see it at, um, at the uh, New York Film Festival a couple of years ago, uh -huh. not knowing what the response was, and she was just, I I've never seen anything this beautiful before. That's the other thing I want to see because it really, it really demands to be seen on a big screen because the images are so beautiful and the way they're composed, I don't know how well they will read on a TV unless you have like a gigantic, you know, flat screen TV. So when he finally returns home from going through trials and tribulations of learning his lesson that he should have never left to begin with, he's, his wife greets him. And, and they're both overwhelmed with joy and happiness to finally see each other. And the next morning he realizes that his wife has died and mm. that he was dreaming or maybe visited by a spirit or ghost. Uh, it really is the ghost of his wife because uh, after the potter, Jinjuro, falls asleep, we still see his wife there. She lights the fire. She watches over him and his son. And the child, yeah. And then when dawn comes, it's when the other villagers come and explain to him what has happened. <laughs> and uh, there's narration of from the wife. So she, she's a, a present spirit. She looks, she continues to look after them. And there's this beautiful line where she says, you have now become the man I always hope you would be. <laughs> And, and she says she's always going to watch over him. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, his sister-in-law brings food over to give to Jinjuro's son. And the boy, uh, at, at this point too, the, he's, he's really discovered his true calling and he's become a very loving father too. That's why she says, you have now become the man I always hoped you would be. Uh, the boy brings the food to his mother's grave as an offering to her spirit and we see him, it looks like he starts to pray. And as he adjusts a plant that he's put on the grave, the camera begins to, to rise. And we see the other villagers working in their fields. And despite all the great tragedy and sorrow, life goes on. If movies can be profound, then Yugetsu is one of the most profoundest movie ever made. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it's I, I have not seen it since college, but I still remember. Yeah, it's it's stunning. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, and there are others. There's Life of Oharu, and there's Sancho, which yeah, are all Sancho made in that great early fifties period of his. But wow, yeah, I I, I I can't argue with that. And that almost fits into what I was talking about. About we you know we thought the ending was going one way. Yes, we thought she she was alive. Yeah, and his friend who goes off to become a samurai, his wife becomes a prostitute, right? Yeah, that's how he first sees her, and, and he learns his lesson, too, the hard way. Oh, but he, the but they, have been, wow. they have been reunited. Yeah. Uh, just extraordinary. And, yeah. they're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to Japan for number one also from the early 50s, but that's a sneak preview. All right, so sorry for the cliche at number two for me, but I have to do it probably the most famous last line in a Hollywood film, and that, of course, is forget it, Jake. Chinatown because that's a line that has first of all it, it's it's a perfect movie I mean we've talked a lot about Chinatown and you know there's no need to go through it if you haven't seen it 
you really can't quite call yourself a film fan. I know that sounds obnoxious, but it's true. Well, I think that's but, true about all the movies we're talking about. Yes, and but, and but it to me it has a couple of contexts that make it very interesting because Chinatown comes to represent. It represents no cross. It represents all that power behind right. the power that you can't see, that you will never see, that is running your life and your world, and you have no idea that no cross is out there because he's very, very quiet. And coincidence that this comes out, you know, at the end during Watergate, at the at, at the apex of Watergate. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure that was a coincidence. Obviously, they didn't. I don't think they planned that going in. But it's, it's incredible. Second of all, in the context of Polanski's career, Polanski is, it, it, it's, evil always wins, and good stands by helplessly, like Jake Giddies in, yeah. uh, Mr. Gitz, in, uh, in Chinatown, like, you know, oh, Rosemary, you don't have to join us, but a baby does <coughs> need his mother. You know, and especially, I told you I was gonna bring back Shakespeare, my aside from Brannock's Henry V, my my favorite Shakespeare adaptation is Polanski's Macbeth, because he actually improves on the play by adding that scene at the end. Because Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth ends with resolution and restoration of Scotland. Right. Malcolm's king. Everything's going to be fine. You're all lords now. The first that Scotland's ever seen. You're earls, and all hell, you know, uh, Malcolm. One more scene in the Polanski where you see someone in a hood riding in the rain and you don't know what's going on. And of course, we stop outside and it's the witch's cave and it's Donald Bain, <coughs> the younger brother. And the whole, rather than closure, it's Polanski saying, oh no, 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 no. The whole thing is gonna start again. Right. Even Pianist, which we talked about a lot a couple of episodes ago, while he escapes, he, he makes it through the war, but the German who say, spares his life right. We see him starving to death in a Russian prison camp. Right. Or Death in the Maiden, you know, where Ben Kingsley, who we're not really sure if is the torture or not, we see him alive at the end at the same concert with Sigourney Weaver and her husband. Yeah. So this is a theme. Far superior film to the play. Yes, and, 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 you know, again, artists separate artists from art. I have no love for Roman Polanski as a human being. I'm just talking about his movies. And, uh, but even Repulsion kind of ends that way as well because, she, you know, Catherine Deneuve's character just, she snaps, Carol, just snaps. And she's being carried out, remember, and the camera starts wandering the floor mm -hmm. and settles on the picture that's been knocked over and it's of the little the whole family and the little blonde girl looking up at her daddy with terror yeah and all of a sudden we understand why she has behaved the way she has and why she snaps i mean a genius of a filmmaker and chinatown is i mean you know from from my daughter my sister my daughter my sister my daughter and my sister yeah. through the shooting through evelyn's eye which we've you know she yeah. we've looked at the eye we mentioned the eye before through Catherine being taken by by you know, she shoots Daddy right right in the yeah. you know and he doesn't even stop moving yeah he, he's, yeah, yeah he, he just keeps coming it's he's like evil. Iago you can't right you can't you can't kill the devil and you know and the cops we don't know if they're operating independently or whether they're on Cross's payroll they shoot at Evelyn they kill Evelyn and Catherine is whisked away to quote unquote safety by her father slash grandfather right. and. All the basically good Jake Giddies can do is 
stand there helplessly while Joe Mantell, great character actor who plays his partner, says, well, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And I, it, can you get any better than that? No. No. No, no, it's a truly great movie. Yeah, and a truly great director, and uh, I, I, I wish he'd led a better life. But uh, uh, a theme I think that's that's prevalent in Chinatown, and it does kind of seep into other Polanski movies. Is is that whole idea that when good people stand by and do nothing, right? Which was which was his experience in the Holocaust. Yes, I mean, as an eight-year-old escaping from the camps and being used as live target practice by the Nazis. Right. So he certainly comes by whatever. Problems he has, honestly. Yes. But um, oh, by the way, you know he was good friends with Jerzy Kaczynski. You heard there's a new film of uh, Painted Bird no, coming out. Really? Yes, coming out in really? it played at Venice, and it's extremely graphic and it's like the book is an extremely. No, yeah, I read the book. I read the book. No, no, it's not, no. Polanski's new movie, new movie is about out. the Dreyfus affair. That's right. Which I've heard mixed things about coming out of Venice, but a Polanski movie is an event. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going. I hate to support, put money in the pocket of someone who's theoretically and in real life a pedophile. I guess you could say, but on the other hand, there's the man and there's the art. So, and that's an argument that is just beyond us. So, before we go into our number ones, any honorable mentions? Right, well, I, so, well, 2001. The Star Child. Yes, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. We'll meet again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. The third man. Or Mind Fuhrer, I Can Walk. Yeah, well. The, yeah, 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 that yeah, whole, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the third man. That's a great last line. Uh, for studio movies, Casablanca. Oh, how can you beat that? Of course, Citizen Kane. I mentioned Bonnie and Clyde before. You mentioned Psycho. The 400 Blows. Yep, the oh, freeze yeah. frame. Uh, the oh, freeze frame. My. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, I have, I'd add to that list seven, as I said. Um, I'm, uh, and we mentioned Inception. I'm going to throw in two more. One silent. Um, Abel Gantz, who became famous for doing mm, uh, oh, Napoleon, yeah. Yeah. shot a film in 1919 called J'accuse which is about the First World War, and which, in which he had served and had been injured. And um, he filmed this. It's an anti-war film. And he actually, the last scene of the movie is the dead soldiers rise from their grave and march. And yeah. playing the dead soldiers were actual soldiers at the front who were probably going to be dead within the next few days. <coughs> I mean, so the, the, the resonance wow. of it is just, it, it's, it's, it's a slowish film, but it's just extraordinary. And I'm also going to add Aguirre, just Klaus Kinski yeah. on the raft to quote Citizen Kane mm. again, lording yeah. it over the monkeys, right? Yeah. And, and uh, what, you want one image of the insanity of colonialism and imperialism? There it is. Yeah. That blonde, you know, with a helmet, yeah. you know, his daughter's slash potential lover has just been killed yeah. and floating down the river in madness. Right. Just extraordinary ending from yeah. Herzog there. So with I've that, got a couple. Yeah, all right. So give mentions. me. Um, Sunset Boulevard. I think that's a great ending. And um, Touch of Evil after the restoration. The ending of A Touch of Evil where uh, Melina Dietrich says goodnight to... Uh, oh, I love that ending. But I didn't like it originally because they added the very last few notes of the Henry Mancini score, yeah, right. which made it sound like a TV movie. But when they cut that and you just see Dietrich walk off 
and you you hear the music of the Bordello or whatever she was running, then it's just brilliant. Yeah. What does it matter what you say about it? Person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it's the, the same thing. Wow. And she shot that in one night. Yeah, she's Dietrich. Unbelievable. Goddess. There you go. All right, those are good honorables. So, and okay. your your number one. My number one. Okay, I am not saying that this is the number one movie. I'm Understood. not even saying it is a great movie. In fact, I didn't even have a copy. I went uh, to um, Barnes & Noble and bought a copy because I really wanted to watch this movie again. But this is a total studio movie from the early 60s. It's Blake Edwards' Days of Wine and Roses. Oh. Now, there's a story behind the ending, but I'm also, first I'm going to give the ending. This is Jack Lemmon's first drama. He had just come off of some like it hot, the apartment, uh, the notorious landlady. This was going to be his very first drama, and at this time, Jack Lemon was a big star. Was this before after Irma Deuce? This was before. Before. Yeah. Uh, but he was a big star. He could get anything he wanted made. He wanted to do a drama. Jack Warner um, decided that he, he would take the chance, uh, uh, risk Warner Brothers and whatever. He would make this movie. Now, the last scene in this, it's about two alcoholics, married alcoholics, played by Jack Lemmon and Lee uh, Remick. The last, very last scene of the film is Joe and his estranged wife, Kristen, in Joe's apartment. Daughter is sleeping in the next room. Joe is a recovering alcoholic, and he's basically trying to talk Kristen into joining him in a life of sobriety. She's been sober for two days, but she cannot imagine a life without drinking. The irony of this is she was a teetotaler when she met him, hmm. and he got her into drinking by drinking, you know, uh, Brandy Alexanders and things like that that were dessert drinks. But he b turned her into an alcoholic. He pleads with her, tells her that if she can't stay sober, they can't be together. And, and she tearfully leaves, and we see her walking down this rather shabby street in San Francisco. Uh, in this crummy neighborhood that Joe's lived in, and he's been sober, as I said, for over a year. And then the daughter, who's five or six, comes out, gets a drink of water, and asks when her mother will be coming back. And Joe replies, Mommy is sick. When she is better, she will be back. Daughter goes back to bed, and Lemon looks out the window, and we see that same street that Kristen has walked down, but there are lights illuminating bar that are flashing. And the last shot is Lemon looking out the window with the word bar flashing on and off in, in his reflection. Mm. So we don't know if he can stay, stay sober. Stay yeah. sober. It, it is a totally ambiguous ending. Anyway, throughout the film, Edwards was making rather, was shooting a few slapstick scenes to keep Jack Warner happy. Uh, for those people who don't know much about Jack Warner and didn't see Feud, uh, which was about the Betty Davis, Joan Crawford feud, Jack Warner was a grade-A prick. <laughs> no other way to describe it. He threatened to sue the Marx Brothers when they made A Night at Casablanca over copyright infringement until the Marx Brothers said that they were brothers before the Warner Brothers and they were going to sue him. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> Not making it up. So anyway... Um, Finally, Edwards had the whole his his cut ready to go, and he showed it um, to Jack Warner, and Jack Warner was horrified by the ending. He said, "You cannot release the movie with this ending." 
you've got to have Lemon shoot another ending. Little did Warner know that um, Edwards had a feeling this would happen. So when the film was finished shooting, he told Jack Lemon to go on a long vacation and get lost. And Lemon, and I think at the time his new wife or girlfriend Felicia Farr, went to Europe telling no one where they were. And nobody knew where they were, including <laughs> including Edwards, from what I understand. I, I think, uh, and every day um, Warner would call up Lemon's agent. Where is Lemon? Where is Lemon? I don't know, and he really didn't know. And in the meantime, they had a, a limit on. They were supposed to put the movie into previews when they had the sneak previews by the, and it was supposed to be released on Christmas of 1962. The Happy Holiday. And Happy Holiday. And finally, Warner just threw up his hands. It was either, it was either not shoot the ending and go on in 1960, or put the movie into 1963. And he decided to release the movie as it was, against his better judgment. The film was an incredible hit. It was the number six or seven film of 1962, Lemon and Remick, uh, both got Oscar nominations. Remick is wonderful in this movie. She was such an underrated yeah, actress. She was. She's I've only good. seen it once, so I, oh, I, I, I have to see. Well, it. I can lend it to you now. I have it. But she did the whole that whole last scene without any makeup. She looks haggard. She's she's just she uh, was very underrated. Unfortunately, she just didn't get. I think this was her only Oscar nomination too. But it, but it is a very good movie. It's a little bit marred by too much of the title song. Which mm. did win the Oscar, Henry Mancini's. Naturally. Just a little too much music, and there are a few things where it's a little studio-ish, but that ending, I remember the first time I saw it, I was just overcome by that ending, and I thought, how, how did they allow this ending to be made in 1962? And uh, Edwards and Lemon had to fight it, and they never told Warner. That it was all planned. That, that Lemon was going to stay lost. The story never came out until after Warner died. I never associate Blake Edwards with uh, with drama. No, but he it, did a few. But um, well, no, I think actually that was. And he, Mr. Lucky, he did the. Uh, and he did a oh, couple of right. westerns. Right, yeah, Lucky. he did a couple of westerns, but no, I mean, comedy was mostly what he did. But this was his drama, and I, I think he knocked it out of the park. And Lemon is great. And Lemon wasn't allowed to do another drama for another 11 years until he did Save the Tiger. Save the Tiger, sure. That's right. And that, Lemon got paid literally nothing. Because you watched the screen, I don't Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. Yes, it is. All right. But anyway, so but the reason I, I put this as my number one is because of the story of what they had to do to Dude. keep this ending. By hook and by crook, and it was definitely... <laughs> it was worth it. I mean, apparently Warner threatened Lemon's agent with his life or something. You that gotta, sounds about right. He, he was such a horrible man. They all were. Yeah. All those mayors. But he and, was in between. Yeah. I mean, did you see Feud? No. Uh, Stanley Tucci played. Oh, he's great in it. And he's great in it, but it's just like, oh, you are an awful person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They all were. All right, but they created beautiful stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. speaking of Jack Lemon. Ah, well, after presenting four rather bleak sad endings, I decided that I wanted to end the comedy. And the comedy I chose is Some Like It Hot. Well, that's the place to end. Yep. 
1959, directed by Billy Wilder, screenplay by Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond, Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe, Pat O'Brien, George Rath, and the one and only great Joe E. Brown. Joe E. Brown. And, and Nehemiah Persoff is Little Napoleon. That's right. That's right. Some say he's grown too big for his spats. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great little part. For those of you that don't know, Some Like It Hot is the antics of two musicians who are desperate for work and decide to imitate women and get a, get work in a all-women's band. And don't the only way to tell them why. I'm not going to tell oh. them why. Oh, okay. Oh. The only way I can do justice to the ending is to read the dialogue. There's no other way. So, Well, we got a couple actors in the room, so... Uh, <laughs> He probably knows every line, so. Okay. There you go, guys. Yes. Okay. This is amazing. This is like East Village Dinner Theater. This is great. (laughs) I should be clinking silverware or something. I knew I'd finally get you guys (laughs) to do this. So, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. I have a terrible past. For three years, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. <laughs> I can never have children. We can adopt, son. You don't understand, Osgood. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yes. There's no other way to do justice. There's no to other note to Wilder's dialogue. No. <laughs> is there is there a funnier ending to a movie? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to think through Wilder. Um, no. no. I mean, I'll Shut Up and Deal is a great last line. Yeah, um, but it's not, it's yeah, not really it's, funny. It's not that. I, I think the most amazing thing about Some Like It Has is I've seen it so many times. But each time I see it, and I, I can practically say all the dialogue before they say it, I laugh. I still laugh. No matter how many times I've seen it, I still laugh. That's that's the thing. I think yeah. we have directors these days who are very, you know, a Paul Thomas Anderson or people like that who are just as acute visually as any of the old masters. But who can write like that anymore? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, anybody? I mean, no one even comes to mind. Yeah. There's. I know that Jack Lemmon told a story about the part when he starts playing with the Baracas, and because it wasn't. <laughs> Who's the in, lucky it, girl? It, it wasn't. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Because it was not in the script. And he said he was like, you know, going over his lines the night before, making sure he was all prepared. And he came in in the morning, and Billy Wilder handed him to here, practice this minute. And his first thought was, my God, this man has, has lost his mind. <laughs> and he didn't, he did not understand why he was being, using the Moroccan. And then when he saw, he saw, I guess, I don't know if it was a preview or just saw the rushes, he was like, now I understand. Yeah, I get and the reason Wilder had him do this is because he wanted time for the audience to laugh, to laugh so they wouldn't miss the next line. Because <laughs> it was such a, a great, funny scene. I heard a terrible story about a girl who went to Bryn Mawr. <laughs> God, there's so many. I mean, what's they not funny? They found her strangled with her own bazaar. She rattled at her best friend. <laughs> Nobody talks like that. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> we named the oil company after it. Shall Which is we? sort of reminiscent of <laughs> Cary Grant and bringing a baby with the glasses. A little oh, bit. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just beyond beyond perfect. We're touching on some really good ones here. All right, no argument for that. But I'm going, I'm going serious with mine, and all you need for mine is a swing, an old man, and some snow. 
Um, and of course, it's the ending. To, you know, when you think of Akira Kurosawa in the '50s, you think of you know sweeping epics along the line of Seven Samurai. But Ikiru, uh, which came out in '53, may be his masterpiece. And it's a very simple story. Um, I, I, I agree. It's it's about a sort of faceless bureaucrat named Watanabe, who has done nothing with his life. He lives a gray life, and his uh, his his wife is gone. His uh, he has a son, but he has no relationship with him. And the film opens with an X-ray of his stomach, and he's got inoperable stomach cancer. So what is he going to do? So he at first he just throws himself into you know just gets drunk, and there's that beautiful scene at the bar where he meets this young poet guy, and you know he asks for a song, and the song is this lovely old song about hanging on to your youth while you still have it because it's going to pass quickly. And then, boom, we see a picture of him, of Watanabe, and we're at his funeral. Six months, maybe eight months have passed, and everyone's talking about Watanabe and what he's done, this amazing thing that he's done. And then a stranger comes in, and it turns out it's the policeman who found Watanabe's body and it turns out that he found him in the playground that he built for the children. That was his last thing. It was his legacy. It was he because he just wouldn't he wouldn't take no for an answer because what did he have to lose? Right. So he parked himself at bureaucrats' doors for hours, for days, for weeks, and, and wouldn't let anyone go until by hook and by crook he got the playground built, turned this horrible piece of urban wasteland into this playground that the kids would play in forever. And as the policeman reminisces about what he found, we see his flashback, and it's Watanabe on the swing on the last night of his life. And the snow, like like the snow in James Joyce's The Dead, you know, which Houston ends that film with yeah, too, which yeah. is so beautiful, singing that song right. about life being brief. Life is brief, and it's a film that changes you as a human being. It's it's a film that transcends film. It's a film that transcends art. It is. I I think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, and the, the just that image of the old man who has finally left a legacy on the swing, ready to die now, and it 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 gets no better. Unexpected from. You know, you know the ending of some the maker of Throne of Blood, which yeah. is you know we'll get ten thousand yeah. arrows <laughs> shot right. at Toshiro Mifune at once. But um, <laughs> my lord, um, and Akira is a film that you can see on a small screen because yes. it doesn't have that epic yeah. Kurosawa scale. It's interesting because it's uh, released the same year as Jugetsu. Yep, yes. and only a year after Tokyo Story, sort of right. the, the Ozu's Tokyo, yeah. the big three of yeah. Japanese filmmaking. Yeah. Kur Kurosawa was always not as not as beloved in Japan as as Mizuguchi and Ozu were because he was not considered Japanese enough. He was considered too Western. Oh. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know his influences were very much Shakespeare. Bad Sleep Well is Hamlet, right. and you know uh, he did uh, uh, you know films based on Dostoevsky, and you know his last great film, of course, was King Lear, which was Ron. Right. Um, right. And, yeah, and but my goodness, when, when that talent is brought to the human scale, it's a very and, accessible movie. Too. And it's... and Watanabe's played by uh, Takeshi Shimura, who you know uh, is not as famous as Mufune is, right. but maybe the greatest that could play anything because yeah. in his next film, for Kurosawa, he plays leader of the Seven Samurai. Right. So um, wow, yeah, wow, 
wow, I cannot see that without crying my eyes out every yeah, single time. No, There's the man on the swing in the snow. So there you have it, my friends, our our favorite endings. And we kind of went all over the place. And uh, so, but now, and you promised me you're going to do this, all right? So now we have to have the first annual Daniel Plainview End of There Will Be Blood End of That Movie Imitation Contest. All right, ready? All right, I'll go first. I'm finished. I'm finished. Michael? I'm finished. I'm finished. <laughs> John? I'm finished. That's good. I'm, I'm finished. finished. I'm finished. I give it to John. I do so, too. So we're finished. We finished the episode. We successfully did, except we have to do a brief necrology. Um, we have to mention the loss of uh, Peter Fonda. Never mind, although I... I you know, I know you guys don't like Easy Rider. I'm not a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I do like some of the stuff he did with Monty Hellman. Some of the lower budget, some of the biker films from the '60s are interesting. The Corman stuff. Yeah, but he's not. No. In it, that's the problem. Yeah, I can't argue with. It. I he, wish I could. Uh, now, I've never seen The Hired Hand, which I've heard is. I never did either. Very good things about that after he died. And he's nominated. Was nominated for Yuli Scully. Yuli Scully won the New York Critics which Award, is, which is excellent. which is excellent. I would have given it to him. Best yeah. movie about beekeeping ever. <laughs> no, but he's really, really good in it. Well, he does his father. He did, but yeah, you could do worse. And um, and then the following year or two years later, he had a very small part in Steven Soderbergh's Limey. Right. Oh, which is a very Good great movie. Point blank redone. Yeah. But oh, and yeah. he is wonderful in it. He's. Oh, I love the line. That's right. He plays the Hollywood exec. Yeah. Right. They, 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 That's yeah. right. I remember. It's a small part. Oh, is that a good film? Yeah. And uh, it's an odd career. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. Especially compared to his sister, not just yeah. his father. Yeah. Uh, I guess he and his father did. They did work together, didn't they? I know there the is a, there is a, uh, one in Nevada. Is that the one in Nevada? Is yeah. that the movie he appears in? Yeah. He has a small part in it. But he, in the, when he started out, at least in the films I saw, and, and especially in Easy Rider, he's actually quite dreadful. I mean, it's 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 almost. He's like, pretty good in the, that one war movie, The Victors. The Victors, yeah. 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 Who directed that? Did that? I I don't. Because uh, other people. Research. George Hamilton was actually pretty good in that. So. To make George Hamilton pretty good. That's not bad. That's not bad. And the other director who was good with actors. Yeah, it's possible. The other, no other people, but we have to pay tribute to a a departed institution after 71 years, non-New Yorkers, the Paris Theater closed. It is literally the last screen in Manhattan that was a single screen. It is. It was the last theater that hadn't been plexed, and it was just epic just a gorgeous beautiful theater that you know closed and open and closed and open they well, it was usually open i mean they did some renovating for the seats but it just didn't seem to work it's and i, I think one of the reasons i mean besides financially uh there don't seem to be big foreign films or art films anymore. no we talked about Bobby and, White and i think about. that was really the demise i mean when i was a kid mm. Um, but they're all playing at smaller theaters yeah. now. Like in, Angelica. Say, Angelica. Yeah. Well, for two years, a man and a woman played at that movie. <laughs> Good I don't happen to like the movie. Yeah, that's Very a soundtrack much. around a film, yeah. My <laughs> first date was, uh, they'd played for a year with Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Oh. That was the. Um, Howard's, recently, Howard's End yeah. ran there for yes, like six Yes, I remember seeing months. a couple of the Birds of Night Um, Room yeah. with a View. 
yep. was yeah. there for like a long time. And, and Morris, I saw there. And yeah. it was funny because I just live up the street. That's right. From um, the Paris, and I could always tell if the Paris had a hit because I could see a line <laughs> outside my window. They haven't had a line in a long, long, long time. And I, I took it's it's the kind of movies that are coming out. Paris also had a deal that they had to have exclusive rights. Right. And that just those days. But are it was gone. it was a, it gone. was a special theater. You always felt mm-hmm. when you walked in it, you felt like oh, I'm going to the movies. Yeah. Right. You felt yeah. like it was the early '60s, and you were going to yeah. sit next to Susan Sontag uh, or yeah. something like that, right? <laughs> you know, and just engage in light conversation. Yeah. Also, um, when I was a kid, there was no refreshment stand. They did a lot of those theaters. Cinema One and Two was another example. Yeah. All right. they had was espresso coffee, which they gave out for free. Mm. Interesting. <coughs> uh, Carl you... Foreman was the director ah. of The Victors. The screenwriter. Yeah. But he also directed it. He was, uh, he was a blacklist. Blacklist that he had written. Uh, uh, Which brings me to a question. I just wonder if, because Peter Fonda was very <coughs> outspoken politically, I just wonder if his career was, how much his career was well, affected by Jane that. Jane was known to uh, visit Hanoi once yes. in a while. Yeah. So but Jane, didn't hurt her. I, Jane was willing to play the Hollywood game. Yeah. And uh, I think Peter just did he not. He worked a lot, though. He yeah. did a lot of movies. They just yeah. weren't very Well, he good. also he showed up in some odd things. Yes. He sometimes showed up on TV. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's, I wonder if a lot of it, because when it came to doing a movie, you want to do his own stuff. Yeah. So. Could be. But uh, he was, he's superb in Ulysses Gold. Oh, yes. It was a revelation yeah. watching him in that. Yeah. Well, yeah he's so there you go. Peter Fonda missed. Now I want to know what happened to Bridget. We 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 haven't settled she that question yet. She did. I think she retired. She's married to um, Danny Elfman. Ah, and but she met she married him. I think after she retired, she got into a, a serious accident. But I don't think that affected the reason she re- retired. Hmm. Uh, she just uh, just hung know, him up. Hung him up. She had children with Elfman, and supposedly very happy. All right. She may come back. Also, she's in her fifties now, and she might be at sort of the in-between age where it's harder to cast her. Yeah, but she she retired. I don't know. Well, a good ten, fifteen years ago. All right. So, but guys, this was for an episode about last. This was an episode of great first. You got to hear me sing. We got to hear you guys act. And John won the first Daniel Imitation Daniel Plainview contest. So thank you. That is pretty awesome. Do I get a big hat now? Only if you say, I've abandoned my boy. Say it, John. I've abandoned my boy. There you go. Give him the hat. All right. Send him on his way. Um, our, um, our October show is going to be a slightly different thing. We usually have a slightly larger focus, but we are going to focus on only one film. Um, and it's because it's a film by one of our greatest directors that it's its 20th anniversary this year. It's a film that Michael likes very much, that John sort of likes and I despise beyond all loathing. So we're all going to have to watch it again and come back to it. And of course, that's Stanley Kubrick's last work, Eyes Wide Shut. So we're going to focus our entire next episode on reopening Eyes Wide Shut. See what I did there? Reopening. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's why I make the no big money. Intended. None taken. And <laughs> there you go. So, and then... 
anticipation because November and December we're gonna do a two-parter, our top ten of the decade. So is it too early? Should we wait until yeah. January? No. Well, we don't know. There might be something yeah, great be... that comes the last week of December. Yeah, all eight school. hours of the Irishman. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I'm and, seeing uh, that November fourth, actually. Hours. <laughs> it's the greed. It's, three and a half it's hours. the greed cut. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's really. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was gonna be that it's long. Long. So, but maybe uh, we'll talk about it. But we definitely want to do a two-parter. You know. Yeah. 10 through 6 yes. and then 5 through 1. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, okay. 4, yeah. And, we'll, and we'll see how it goes. Um, and Mike's in a play, so... Cat in Yes, so he may not have time, which is good news. So, as ever... Uh, Vintage Sand is a Five Nines and a Four production. We want to thank Melissa for her production help. We are not thanking Mama Sue for the space because once again, hopefully for the last time, we are at Vintage Sand Studios, Sir Lemaire. I mean, Sir Lemaire. Where we do research and special effects. That's true. And all are welcome. And uh, and we thank Gabby for the logo. Please check out our website and give us uh, suggestions and feedback and tips. That's www.vintagesand.com. And happy watching to you all, especially as the Oscar season films start to hit the screens. And may your favorite films always be streamed. And hail Fredonia! Hail Fredonia! <laughs> Land of the brave and Fredonia. free! Fredonia!